Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on August the 4th of 2021. Big oh, my day. God, it's August. <laughs> Do you feel like this year's going quick? I feel like this month went kind of quick. Okay. But uh, other than that, uh, I guess it's because, like, it's the first month since, um, uh, like, I, I was actually able to start seeing people again, uh, so it's a little bit weird time. Uh, starting you're doing you're doing again, a whole bunch so. of stuff too, probably in comparison. Well, I mean, like it's not a lot, but it's infinitely more than I was doing for a year beforehand. So, all right, all right. So you feel like you got everything out then? No, no, um, no. You're not. You're not all done. No, it was, uh, un- unfortunately. Um, uh, the, if, if things go back in the other direction, which it seems like they are, and it seems like they should, then uh, there's going to be a lot of things that I didn't get. To oh no! <laughs> um, but yeah, fortunately, there is one thing that uh, has not changed, which is that we get manga every week, almost to talk about. So that's nice. Right. I'm sorry, I Usually. got distracted. I have, I have like the fucking. I got an iWatch now, and every time I fucking, like, you get anything, it gives you, like, a fucking update. And sometimes, yep. It tases you. Yeah, like, it kind of feels like, and I'm just like, what the fuck? And it's like, oh, no, you reached your fitness goal by sitting in this goddamn chair. So, I don't know. I mean, you're burning calories by sitting up. That's, that's, I think, what happened. I reached my move goal of the day. So, I mean, I also walked, like, five miles earlier, so that probably played into it, too, but. No, it was the sitting down. That was the, that was yeah. the uh, most important part of that. <laughs> it was me sitting down and watching the Green Knight in theaters that really turned everything around. I am planning on going to see that this weekend. So. Very good. Visually, one of the most impressive movies I've seen in a very long time. Cool. I really look forward to it. Apparently, there's a post-credit scene. I didn't stay to see it. <laughs> and are they setting up the, the Camelot <laughs> extended universe? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's just like an extra bit to the movie, but just as a heads up for you, because I know I got home. I usually go to the Wikipedia afterwards and then I just saw like in a post credit scene. I was like, huh, didn't think they'd have one of those. Well, well, then. I was going to say, you know, it doesn't have post credit scenes, but then I think about all those, you know, extra chapters that get released <laughs> after popular series are finished. <laughs> so I guess that does, that was, transition doesn't really apply. I was going to say, there's like seven or eight fucking Promised Neverland one shots if you kids say mm-hmm. extra chapters. We uh, have manga to talk about this week, and it's going to be a little bit weird because we're going to be doing no... it in Spanish. Uh, See, sí, Me... uh, in esta. Mijero Academia. Mm, not quite, but All close right, enough. close enough. <laughs> All right, got it. Nailed it. Mi ero. Mi eroe. Mi eroe academia. I think it's just academia. Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> or mi colegio por eroes. Now, you know Spanish. You know a good bit of Japanese. Uh, what about the Deutsch? almost none uh see i here's a pro tip this is like a tip for everybody uh even those people from you from deutschland uh actually not deutschland that's a different thing um anyway if you want to convince somebody that you know how to speak those languages just confidently say sounds 
It yeah. doesn't matter. <laughs> like I could say like, oh yes, I'm very fluent in the Dutch. And then I just go and I'm like, and then if you just leave the room before anyone could call you out on it, oh, it's like, you what does win. that mean? You did it. <laughs> I probably insulted somebody's mother. I apologize for that. I'm just saying it's all about having the confidence to come into the room and do it and then, then get out of there. Spoken like a true American. Okay. <laughs> that's where I fly. That's where a real American comes on and I just pose up towards the flag. <laughs> Can you imagine if that were one of the things that, like, Hulk Hogan is? Listen, brother, I know 27 languages, dude. You mean Cesaro's gimmick when he first came to WWE? They were like, what do we do with this guy? I don't know. He could speak four languages. That's it. That's his gimmick. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's not getting over. What if he yodels? Uh... <laughs> what's, a, what's the one thing I can think of when I think of the Swiss people, said Vince McMahon? trapping his chin for six hours straight yodeling they don't like successful merch sellers so uh <laughs> it's fired them uh, uh, did that hurt you sorry. nick did it hurt you it more baffled me than anything else it is a confusing moment you're just like huh Sorry, we are, for those of you with a very passing knowledge of wrestling, we are recording, this is the first episode we're recording after the the WWE release of Bray Wyatt, who, whenever he was on TV, was a very popular character uh, who sold a lot of merchandise and made the company money, but... um, And he's been with the company in a popular way for, I think, I'm just going based basically since it became Bray Wyatt. But yeah, that would right, probably right. be coming seven up on like years. seven or eight years. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And they decided to fire him because he was getting, he was making too much money from them and they weren't using him because he's portraying a character that's best in, you know, small doses. And they were like, well, we're not using this guy currently. We're playing <laughs> having him come back literally for the biggest show of the summer in a big way. But no, we basic no. we basically have the same thing with Alexa Bliss right now. We'll just be done with that. Just like it's like it's like that. It's like the old meme. Like I want Bray Wyatt. Like we have Bray Wyatt at home and Bray Wyatt <laughs> I put at that home. Up on Twitter, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's um, and and God, it's really annoying because it's so messed up in so many different ways. Uh, people thought that like, well, maybe it was like a mutual thing because he was clearly very personally affected by the death of a friend of his who was also in the wrestling business, Brody Lee. And uh, no, wasn't that purely a budget saving measure and he was getting ready to come back. So that's a cool bit of news to, you know, get randomly sprung on you. And uh, people are laying the blame at the, at the feet of uh, a woman who had no (laughs) decision making powers involved in it whatsoever. So let's blame her. So it's it's messed up all around. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine, Nick. Ronda Rousey says the fans are to blame. Eh, fuck her. So. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about manga. We've talked about wrestling enough or. And we talked well, about the Green Knight. And <laughs> yeah, we talked about everything except manga at this point. Let's talk about manga. I don't know. We could just do a no manga episode of Weekly Manga. <laughs> we could. Hey, there's a fest. There isn't like Oban coming up sometime soon. We could just talk. Well, that's our episode. It's it's Weekly Manga Recap, but we never get to the manga. 
But we do have a lot of manga to talk about this week. And because we had no manga last week, we also have like a double up case going on. So I guess we should get into it. My Hero Academia is chapter 321. Uh, the title of the chapter is at the end of this one. So I can't remember what it is. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is from class A to one for all. So we uh, get this uh, very stylish color two page spread of class one A as green suit wearing engineers. They look like leprechaun engineers. I don't know what the what the Isn't, clothing choice has to do with it, but didn't wasn't this the same outfit they wore on one of the popularity polls though? Or very similar. Didn't they have one where they wore like this kind of teal and like orange suits or something like that? The suits were definitely like the same. I don't know if the exact same color scheme was used. So it is weird that they're like, and now we're building an all might Gundam. Yeah. Which is definitely going to be used for evil. There's no way this is going to be used for good purposes. Like how Mecha Godzilla is evil and Godzilla is sometimes good. Yeah. Right. Uh. Last time on My Hero Academia, Class 1A basically were trying to stop Deku from running away, which essentially meant that they were fighting him. Um, and uh, we see that some of the people that were not involved in the past and the last chapter, um, it's because they can't keep up, basically. <laughs> There's, you know, Kirishima, he is the most important character not involved in this whole thing because he he's kind of a slow boy. He, he, he runs at normal human speeds. So he's like the, he, he's like the anti-Sonic, although I guess the anti-Sonic would be Shadow. <laughs> and he's, so he's, Karashuma so he's not, does not use so guns. Not like the <laughs> oh, In fact, he's actually what's the anti-anti Sonic? I guess it'd just be Sonic. I guess it would be one of the robot shadows. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Oh, Sonic the Hedgehog's a weird franchise. Okay, so Kirishima, along with Aoyama and Hagakure, are kind of doing cleanup uh, involving the puppeteer villain that got taken out before this whole thing started. Endeavor also shows up on the scene. And uh, so he's like, all right, yeah, we better make sure that uh, uh, everyone uh, who ran, ran off is safe here. Uh, and you guys, you guys, I'll hold things down here. You go join up with Hawks. And Kirishima's like, oh, man, I can't keep up with everything. Even though Deku's zipping around like that, uh, there's more loads more I want to say to the guy. Kirishima's like, well, I've got character bonding to do with Midoriya. It's just that I can't do it mid-action <laughs> So I have to, I'll have to wait until everyone else holds him down so that then I can bring up I was going to say, it'll be great because the end of this chapter kind of applies the situation is dumb, but like, it'll be great if at like the end of it, a couple characters who like, didn't get to have their fill are just like, listen, man, I know we already handed this, but I, got, I wrote the whole speech, so you're going to have to listen to it. Dear Stinky Deku, I'm tired of you being stinky and not accepting my friendship. He's like, I took a bath. I know, but I wrote this when you were still stinky, so you just got to listen to it. And I'm never going to let you live down how goddamn awful you smelled. <laughs> uh, I, I I do get that, like, Aoyama and Deku, you know, they became friends during yes. that the little, little thing. So Aoyama, he's got stuff to say to Deku, too. Hagakure, does she ever talk to anyone? Well, you never know, because you can't see her. Mm, yeah. That's a good point. Maybe she was present for all these important... She might have been in every scene. She's just been naked at them for some reason. 
So does yeah. it ever fuck with your mind to think that they made a costume for Mirio though, specifically made to work with his power made out of his hair, but they can't do that for Hagakure? Hag- like, sorry, made- you have to be naked. Nicole's made literally the exact same objection. Uh, so you're you're not alone in how messed up it is that, of course, the girl's the one who's going around naked all the time. Yeah. So, uh, we catch up with what's going on with Deku in Class One A. Uh, as it's Todoroki's turn to start lecturing him now that he's kind of stuck in the giant wave, you know, wall of ice that he's got there. And he points out, you know, very briefly, like, hey, there's a lot of problems with this plan of yours. If you're running around like this, maybe that's what All for One wants. And hey, maybe while you're distracted running around like an idiot, he'll attack UA. If, you know, and look at the way you're running yourself ragged. So, at least consider this as an option. You know, let us protect you. Let UA protect you the same way you want to protect it. That's an option. Let us help you. And Deku's like, no, the voices in my head said it was my turn, so I can't do that. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that we are all supposed to know that Deku's not in his right mind because he's very clearly not when you put it like that. And he also points at, argues that this is a battle between one for all and all for one, and you guys can't keep up. Which, okay. Uh, so, Suyu tries to jump in from there as Deku, I guess, just launches himself out of the wave of ice. He's got super strength and speed, sure, why not? Uh, but Mineta! actually is the one to uh, get in next as uh, Tsuyu looks like she's going to wrap him up with her tongue, but actually she's throwing Mineta towards him and he kind of latches on with a bundle of his sticky balls to kind of rope himself on there. And he says to Deku that, you know, I never thought it was your power that made you awesome. I fell for you when you were scared and sweating buckets and quaking in your boots back when we found a path forward together, which is referencing all the way back to like, God, I think it was like basically when we started covering My Hero Academia, when the villains attacked during the test and the legal. That was when we did the recommendation. When we actually came into it, it was like in the middle of the school festival. Right, right. So, but yeah, that's going back to like chapter 20 or something like that. Yeah, Mineta, that was how Mineta and Deku first had a little bit of bonding, was because they were separated from everyone else along with Suyu and they worked together to get out of that situation. However, um, that's not the most important tidbit of information that a lot of people took from this exchange. Uh, uh, all right. Yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> we have to talk about this, even though I do not agree with it at all whatsoever. Mineta uses the words, I fell for you. And according to some people's analysis of the original Japanese, that connotations that go along with that exact phrase are similar to what is used in the original Japanese. And I don't know enough about it myself to be able to make that value judgment by myself so people are going does this mean Mineta's bi if he's saying that he fell for Deku probably not I think that he is being Mineta and he's being a weirdo who talks weird uh it's insane but people are really reading into this a lot and I so I just want to acknowledge that and I want to say I think people are reading a little bit too much into it. I'm not going to completely shut the door on the, on the idea of being, uh, being bisexual. 
but I do think that it is a little bit odd that people have are have been going like we do want more, you know, like LGBTQ representation in shonen manga in general. Is Mineta really the best one that we're going to get for a mainline series? Probably not. Um, so I, I literally just have to acknowledge that that is the response that a lot of people had to this. It's not the response that I had. So yeah, I know it's. Uh, I mean, that's in the nicest way because uh, I don't. I always hear about people saying like. Oh, my hero spoilers are trending on Twitter or whatever. I, I, I legitimately do not get them. So in my mind, I always just assume like, oh, you guys have like some weird Twitter thing going on or something like that. Uh, but I don't follow it. So I only heard about this after the fact. In my mind, I'm just like, I, I like I thought it was a joke, but I guess some people really got into the idea. Like, that's what this is about. And um, look, I'm not saying the character couldn't be i'm just saying i it would be such a left turn that if it was in the middle of a chapter that wasn't even about him then it would be insane uh also there are a lot of complicated feelings that would come out of that character as well uh sexually harassy character in the entire series is also the there's problems with that yeah i i legitimately just assumed it was a joke for the most part but then i heard people were seriously having a conversation a discourse about it which i'm like sure i guess but i i would prefer that conversation be about to something with real legs to it as opposed to just like i don't know just thought about i just read the line that way yeah but there was a big reaction to this online and a very, very, you know, people actually took notice of this and I just wanted to make, to acknowledge that. So, yeah. All right. Anyway, the possibly by Binetta gets, uh, uh, gets thrust away by black whip, uh, as Deku keeps on trying to make it his escape. And he's like, all right, I'm just going to just gun it and get out of here. And he is like, okay, I'm going to, you know, use Black Whip to slingshot myself. I'm going to use all, one for all at 45%, and I'm going to use Fa Jin to concentrate, and I'm just going to gun it and get out of here. Uh, Uraka calls out to Deku as he's getting ready to launch himself, and uh, she's, you know, Deku's thinking back to when Uraraka was talking about how Bakugo would probably be be ashamed if he were, if people were to rescue him back with the League of Villains had uh, had him captured, and but she's just shouting out to Deku that things are different now, including me. And the reason that this gets referenced is because they do a variation of the same thing that they did back during the League of Villains capturing Bakugo. They bailed an ice ramp. And they get ready to launch somebody. And we see that uh, a whole bunch of people are gathered at the bottom. Uh, Ashido is giving protective coating to it so that, um, you know, when the thing gets launched, it won't be horrible. (laughs) And it looks like and it's kind of hard to tell because things are really crammed into a few panels. It looks like Bakugo and Todoroki work together with mina's protective coating to launch a huge blast and uraraka also launches bakugo up with her zero gravity as this is launching and so bakugo is being launched up into the air and then there is a second wave to this as bakugo blasts with his explosion ability and this launches ida Oh. And while and while all this is going on, uh, 
that people are basically saying narrating there's a lot we wanted to talk to you about but words don't reach you right now and the thing is we don't need you to be protecting us we don't want you to reject who you are and what you're doing we just want to be with you and even Bakugo was thinking to himself, I've got a lot I want to say. No, a ton I got to say. I mean, all right. <laughs> Slightly more, I guess. But for now, I'm passing the mic to a guy built for speed. And only Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic, he can really, I don't know. So um, I will say it's very nice that for once, Ida whose entire thing is that he goes fast is actually being allowed to go the fastest <laughs> for like the first time in a long time. And even he, cause he's got, you know, the, the all he's got Todoroki and Bakugo doing these multiple layered boosts on him. And even he, with all of his, I'm used to going fast, is his lips are dragging behind him and stuff. His glasses just, break from the pressure. Yeah, it's awesome. And he thinks to himself, you've always managed to outpace me. That's precisely why I am always ready to challenge you. And he launches himself even faster with recipro burst. And he thinks to himself something that his brother told him, which is if there's anything that could bolster Izuki Midoriya right now, it would be those who share his resolve and those who can match his pace. I think that's his brother. I can't think of who else that would be. So, and yeah, he launched himself so Isn't fast. Isn't that one of the one for all people? No. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> see, I can't remember those guys. There's too many of them. I was say, didn't uh, oh, that's the conversation they had? You're right. So. <laughs> I was gonna say, isn't Ida that does look like Ida at all? Why I was gonna say, doesn't Ida's brother look like Ida? <laughs> yeah, it does. So, good job, Nick. Eh, well, I've been much, I've, I've had much worse calls on, eh, on this show. So, Ida catches up to Deku. He goes so goddamn fast that he actually outpaces Deku's super fast, I'm gonna get out of here ability, and he grabs onto Deku's hand as he is shooting by him. And while he's grabbing onto his hand, we actually finally get the chapter title, and Deku's like, No! You've gotta go away! No! But Ida's got, he's been waiting for this. He's like, I'm finally got my spotlight moment. I've got a speech ready for this. And he says, Ingenium the hero will dash across the land to take a lost child by the hand. Because giving help that's not asked for is what makes a true hero. And uh, he's tearing up and Deku's tearing up, which I do like because you can argue that it's because they're both going so goddamn fast that it's messing with their eyes, but also it's an emotional moment. So there's that going on. Yeah. So if that's not the conclusion to this, I don't know what the fuck can be because they got, it's the big, you know, sequence of everyone working together and Hey, Ida just caught up to Deku. He proved exactly that Deku was wrong and they can't keep up with him in a very literal sense. So hopefully that's the end. So it would make sense if this is the end. Uh, now that said, uh, the first time I read this chapter, I couldn't get into it. I wanted to in every way I could, but I just, for whatever reason, I was just like, ah, I'm just not digging it. Uh, this time through, though, it did work. And I'm glad. I, I agree with you. It's nice. Ida is the one to get this moment. I've heard people say that this is a, a moment you could appreciate a lot more 
if you are heavily invested in the series, because I guess the line Ida has about you know uh, a challenge is something he said during the the um, what you call it the school games or something like that. So and I think some of that is just kind of connected to that as well. So I don't remember all those moments. So a little, some of the little touches I, I think are in this scene are kind of lost on me. But I do really appreciate that it's not Bakugo or Uruk or even Todoroki. These characters who have kind of had their big moments before, but uh, Ida, who has sort of the big moment here at the end, it's it's a very cool sentiment and moment. I really dig yeah. it. It's also cool because there's the additional layer of it's class 1A reaching out to Deku to try and convince him to do this, and Ida is the president of class 1A, so he is their representative in this mm. moment. So, But yeah, Ida's uh, really not gotten a lot of moments to shine. I think that the last thing he really did was he went really fast during the class 1A versus 1B <laughs> fight, and that's and they, and they that ended in a tie. So <laughs> He has to go really fast, so, you know, I understand. Sonic, etc. Things like that. Yes. He can really move. That was it. So Sonic, he's full of attitude. I don't think that's how the song goes, but I'm still Sonic really likes to eat food. <laughs> Sonic, he's the fastest something around. <laughs> uh, all right. It's a lot less emphatic when he's the fastest. <laughs> something, something, hedgehog. <laughs> Uh, All right. Very, very briefly, there was also a My Hero Academia one-shot. It is to promote the third My Hero Academia movie. Nothing happens in it. it is, there is a practice bout that allegedly takes place when Bakugo and Todoroki and Deku were training with Endeavor. And then they kind of have a kind of cute scene at the very, very end where they're designing stealth costumes and Deku's upset because he can't have a cape. And that's literally it. That's the entire thing. It tells us nothing about what's going to happen in the movie. So there you go. Set up for a fun new movie. Let's talk, Nick, about Undead Unluck. This is number 73. Bring it on. So, of course, it is a chapter all about high school cheerleading, the rivalries that can come as a result of it. Yeah, backflips. Uh, actually, no, it's not about that at all. We actually pick up last, last time where Fuku escaped. Uh, I don't remember its real name. I think Kane or something like that, but I'm just going to call it Shamu. Got into the air and told about the, the date of the spring raid. So, boom, that's what's happened. Uh, she tells everybody, hey, the, the raid date is December 24th. Uh, their hideout is inside the Orca UMA's belly. You won't be able to track it. Uh, we don't have a member on a certain people. Like We don't know. There's one man. We don't know his ability. Also a restrainer type girl. And an old lady who looks like a, Ford, a sword fighter named Usai. Uh, and she says, like, ah, that's that's all I know. I'm sorry. And Andy's like, what are you talking about? That's great. And uh, she, they start to explain, hey, so spring changes people into cherry trees. Uh now awesome. kind of explaining why it's an actual danger for him around, because otherwise it just seemed like he was getting drunk, chilling out on top of a building or a tower. Uh, they say if you touch any of the petals wafting through the air. We talk about, look, look, that man just turned into a cherry blossom tree. But there's nothing unusual going on here. Nope, that's all fine. Uh, basically, it's a Jojo stand. If you touch any of the petals wafting through the air, you'll turn into a cherry tree as well. So Andy says, you need to make contact with Yusai. Her ability can stop the petals from falling from the trees. I like this little little foreshadowing as to what her powers will be. Mm -hmm. So they're like, look, we have to befriend her to reach spring because as it is, we won't be able to otherwise. Uh, Andy says, hey, drop my name and she should cooperate with you. So 
thus fulfilling the the notion everyone had where they're like i think that's the name of the same person or the design rather the same person who taught andy's sword techniques a while ago right so andy just says yep friend is an understatement more like an ex-girlfriend and that's like a moment that fuku gets kind of like awkward about and then they all just like uh what's his name Nico and, and Tatiana basically just start beating up Andy for being like, why would you do that? Why would you bring up that it was your ex? <laughs> I love the expressions that Tatiana's shell makes in these comedic moments. Where she gets the squinty, angry eye on her viewing screen. <laughs> oh, that's not Nico. It's the, whatever the kid that works with Nico. Right. Um, also, Skoboto has a great point. Drop my name. And it's like, wait, yeah, she did name Andy. <laughs> What was his name beforehand? <laughs> uh, so, uh, basically, that's the end of the conversation they have. Uh, it ends with Billy grabbing the the, uh, the communicator and saying, ah, not bad, not bad. But hey, she's not getting out anymore. So give up. I'll try to recover her. Uh, I'm going to make her kill spring. I can't steal her power, so I'll just have to use it. He also basically is like, he he also basically says I know that she's communicated to you all this other stuff so I guess that I'll just repeat all of it just in case she didn't yeah <laughs> it's like what what if what if she hadn't said all that stuff and he just gave everything away <laughs> that'd be pretty funny uh and he just basically gives like the the comeback of like eh, we're gonna take her back on that day after all she just gave us the skinny on your forces and he's like who cares it's not like a game of amateurs are gonna be able to do it if you get in our way your lives are over and he just says sick bring it on uh, and that's how they cut the call so we finished the rest of the chapter off with uh the union group who have gathered and uh andy basically just says yep i heard word from under this is their detail on december 24th they're going to bring all their fighters to make sure we don't take fuko back uh he says i can guess who the fighting types are guard duty will be five or six people tella billy's aid rip on repair creed the guy we fought back on the boat and I'm positive the ones who will be keeping close to Fuko will be Billy and Yusai. And I can't make it to her all on my own, so I'm asking you guys to put your lives in my hands. And Tatiana punches uh, Andy in the back of the head really hard. Yeah, and, he's dead now. Yeah, he's, he's done. I know he can't die, but he's dead. <laughs> and she just says, wait, were you planning to do this alone? Uh, like, alone? Uh, fuck you. Like, I may not be undead like you, but if it's for my friend, I don't risk mind risking my life. And uh, they have a little bit of attention about all this, but essentially the same thing is everybody's like, yeah, we're on this side now. We're, we're, we're willing to work together. Um, Jue, I suppose, uh, shows up and is just like, you could say that they're more dangerous than any UMA we've ever encountered, which is why I assume he asked us to reaffirm, because this is a more dangerous mission than any we've ever been on before. Uh, she's, and got her, she's got her uh, artificial arm yes. uh, attached now. Too. She's got it all attached. So Andy just says, you know, thanks to that info, we have into, or thanks to the info we have into on them. And he's like, no more negotiations. Oops, sorry, hold on a second. Um, no more complicated negotiations. Uh, we're going to spring at them and settle the score. Very cool two-page spread to, to close things out uh, here. Yep. Uh, the showdown kind of quality. And uh, Spring in the middle of it, just looking cocky, which is great. Yeah, <laughs> he's, oh, he knows no one. You're going to try and kill me? Them. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm actually trying to look at this two-page spread more because it gives... Yeah, he's there in the very back. Are you trying to find... I was trying um, to find Unburn. 
who or uh, everybody kind of thinks might be on burn the guy with the the visor okay all right yeah good chapter nice chapter um what's next uh kaiju number eight would be next is it yep Hang on a there was a kaiju number eight there was okay i think i just forgot to open it up hang on it was like two weeks ago yeah it's it's been a weird uh, kind of freaking where is it there it is okay oh geez oh right there's also that okay oh there's more mom to talk about this week than <laughs> <laughs> all right let's keep going kaiju number eight chapter 40 Last time, after Kikoru had joined uh, the first squad, she was also introduced to Gen Narumi, who demonstrated his abilities and said that, you know, he doesn't care about protocol or anything like that. He just wants Kikoru to prove that she is strong. We uh, then get, uh, you know, more of Gen just being him, his weird self. Uh, there is a huge article about uh, Captain Ashiro having gone missing. And then there's a tiny little thing about Gen Narumi and, and company, you know, taking care of the problems at the coast. And he's really, really annoyed about this. He's like, wait a minute, this makes it sound like Ashiro beat the Kaiju. This is bullshit. Ah, and he's like directly complaining to Shinamiya, who has gone right back to being unimpressed with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to be whenever he's in action, he's going to be like, oh, he's so he's so awesome. And whenever he's not, she's just gonna be disgusted with his entire existence. As she should be. He's 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 pretty lame. He's even freaking out over people talking about it on social media. Yeah, it's well, like again, like it is so very strange. There's no one else in the series that's so weird and kooky like this. And then there's this one dude who's like, I'm an Uber nerd who uh, constantly checks to see if I'm trending on Twitter, basically. He's self he's self searching and he's replying to people in the trend and getting annoyed at them for talking about Ashiro and people are like wow this guy's a, a real lame asshole and yeah he, he kind of is when yeah. he acts like this so um and uh, then he's like oh yeah there's some boring meeting going on and I don't want to I don't want to waste time on that and you know his his vice captain comes in and kicks him off his chair he's like it's your job to go to the meeting go to it and then he drags him out and saying. That the meeting is going to be about Kaiju number eight, whom we now cut to as Kafka is doing push-ups in isolation. Uh, he's thinking about what Isao Shinomiya told him, which is that he needs to demonstrate his usefulness. Otherwise, he's going to, you know, be converted into a weapon. Uh, so he's just like, all right, I'm going to do it. I will do whatever needs to be done. Uh, it's not just for me. It'll also be for my friends who believe in me and are waiting for me. Yeah. And yeah. Bunch of people come into his cell asking for him to come with them. He is brought into a room along with Gen Narumi and Shinomiya and uh, Gen's uh, vice captain. And uh, he's like, "What? what's going on? That, this is the first division captain. Why is he here? And they're all standing in front of Isao, who tells them that Kaka is being placed in the first division. Uh, because their goal is to create a division powerful enough to topple any and all cataclysms. He says, I'm giving you a chance to show your strength and use this next neutralization as an opportunity to convince everyone of your abilities. So Kafka is like, I mean, I don't like that he's still kind of treating me as Kaiju number eight, but okay. And he's like, yes, I'll do it. And immediately Narumi just speaks up and cuts him off and says, nah, I decline. And, uh, story's over. We're done. That was it. 
Yeah, the last panel is got as Kafka being carved up like a turkey. Yeah. And uh, he's just Narumi goes right back to being a disrespectful dickhead. He says, "Yeah, uh, it's fine if I'm just if I'm the only one here. We don't need this guy. Bye." But Esau refused to let him leave. And he points out the uh, problems that they're having right now. Number nine is still in disguise somewhere. And uh, number 10 led like this big coordinated attack on the third division base. So these are clearly different from any other kaiju we've encountered in the past. And we have made strides day by day to overcome numerous kaiju cataclysms. But the kaiju continue to undergo unknown evolutions with major cataclysms. When arrogance tells you you have everything under control. They occur in a way that flips your perceptions on their head. We must also come to evolve. Just very pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Nurmi, of course, doesn't like this. Uh, and while he's staring down Kafka, he says, oh, come on. When, do you have that little faith in me, Mr. Isao? When it comes to number eight, converting him to a weapon for me to use would be the most effective solution. He's staring at the guy. That he says, yeah, turn this guy into a weapon and let me swing him around like a hammer. So he's not a nice dude. He's all nice. business. Isao starts to say something to Rumi, but before he can, Kafka says, Captain, I can't die just yet. There is still something I must do. Something I need to accomplish first. He's thinking about childhood memories with, with Mina. The, the, the thing that we still need to see more of in order to care about it one day we're going to one day <laughs> but kafka base is like yes i accept this and he salutes and declares himself kafka hibino ready to serve the first division and of course narumi just kind of repeats what he said earlier to shinamiya saying look i don't care about your emotions i don't care about your situation i don't care if you're showing grit just show me skills and results if you haven't go berserk again, I'll dispose of you quickly and make you into my suit. Because he's an asshole. So, but Kafka is, puts on a good front and he's just like, thank you, sir. And, to, and salutes again as Nurmi walks out. And we are given episode five of the, of the Kaiju number eight saga, beginning with its episode five title, The Kaiju Weapon. Uh, I don't, I don't, don't, yeah, I don't particularly care about this new character. So the idea that he's going to be heavily kind of revolved around this is a thing that I'm not super jazzed about. I'm not like angry about or anything like that. I just, I don't have a ton of interest in that character. Yeah. Um, I I guess it's nice to know that he is an asshole. Uh, (laughs) about it. Um, and I guess it's good to know why we, uh, have, been introduced to this character is because he is essentially the next antagonist that Kafka's got to deal with as he's doing through this. He's, you know, he's conquered Esau by proving himself to him, but now he's got to go through this guy too. Yeah. So on to Spy Family. For the seven page, I guess this one's like a regular length chapter. It just feels short. Yeah. We have a very brief aside to begin with, with Frankie, who has been tasked with looking after Bond while the family is away. Nice to have that detail. He is annoyed with Bond at first. He starts, like, berating him and stuff while he's walking him through the park. And then there's a cute girl who's got her own little dog. And so, hey, guy has a dog. Introduced to a girl with a dog. And uh, Frankie is much more happy with Bond you know, being in his care all of a sudden. Hmm, imagine that. So, anyway, moving on from that, it was really weird. 
opening to the chapter, but moving on. Uh, Lloyd is uh, gazing out uh, over the horizon on the yacht, and he's thinking over how he's got all of these different skills to treat him that have treated him well in his career as a spy. He's honed them all. He knows how to be calm and collected in any situation, but he has no idea how to deal with Anya. He's not a good father. And uh, he's just says to himself, I'm not the perfect spy I thought I was. There are still things in this world I do not understand, and I must not be overconfident in my knowledge and experience. The unknown is what scares humans the most. And uh, I'm a spy. However, I do not fear the unknown. But I, well, I do fear it, I guess, but I could over. <laughs> Listen, I am not used to these feelings of lack of preparation. Being a super spy doesn't prepare you for being a father, I guess, has been the point of this entire series, and I'm only just now learning that, 50 chapters in. <laughs> Meanwhile, Anya's sleeping. <laughs> yeah, there's a real difference in attitudes. Uh, however, the two uh, also start to add on their day. We see that the director is meeting with uh, the two suits that they met with before that don't know anything about the situation. They're like, oh, I guess we're not going to be entertaining the Greys anymore. But what what about what, what our, uh, our the campaign we're going to run and everything? And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's not your fault. I will attend to them personally. You two just take the day off and enjoy yourselves. And they're like, oh, OK. So yeah. it's a loose end that got wrapped up. Fine. Anya is starting her day. And she's like, it's adventure time. And she's got her own theme song. Good for her. And uh, Lloyd, of course, is thinking like, what do I do? What, I, I, I need to figure out something in order to do with her. But Anya, of course, is just thinking like, I need to do something to help out Mama. But I can't just be as direct as saying to Papa that she's in trouble. Because how would she know about this? And then he'll freak out and he'll abandon me. Of course, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So she's like, I have to find a way to ditch Papa for a while. And she's like, look, look, they've got golf. They've got goof putting golf putting. Uh, is this is something that 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 adults like. And while Papa is busy playing golf, I'll slip away. Lloyd's too good at golf. It makes sense. He was great at tennis. Why wouldn't he be great at golf? So Anya gets distracted uh, because Lloyd recommends she try the game. And so she gets distracted and doesn't go and try and find your then they eat, and they're like, oh, I know. Papa loves knowing things. I'll bet he'll get distracted if we go to the library. She gets distracted by manga. I do like it. He's like, I've already read every book. And she's just like, teehee, manga. Oh, wait, <laughs> shit, I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then she's like, I know. Uh, it, I'll, if you help me to solve this puzzle, then he'll get distracted. And Lloyd solves it in his head. And she's like, all right, well, what if we go skating? And she gets distracted from skating. Oh, well, let's go to a magic show. She gets distracted by the magic show. And it gets to be dinner time. The entire day has passed and she has not once managed to distract Lloyd with something and slip away. However, she's also really angry. And her angry expression, Lloyd is really concerned about because She's like, I thought we I thought we were having fun all day. What happened? Um, but uh, then Anya finally realizes, like, oh, am I making Papa worry about me? And she's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying my adventure, but I wish Mama could be with us. I always like it the best when I can be with the both of you. And she's like, I've got to go. I've got to go find Mama. Maybe this will let me go and find her by myself without him. But instead, Lloyd's like, oh, of course you want your family. You're, you're a small child who loves your parents and stuff. Uh, but she says, 
we could ask you if she has time home sometime tomorrow. Uh, and I'm, you know, she says like, I don't know where she is right now, but we can send her a message through the concierge and, uh, then maybe we could arrange a meeting tomorrow. Oh, also there's going to be fireworks after dinner. Uh, and, uh, maybe yours group will be watching the fireworks too. Maybe we can go and find them. Uh, and if yours like, or rather Anya's like fireworks. So the director gets in touch with yours group. Uh, who reports uh, your reports to the others that uh, they've gotten an already signal from the ship, the rendezvous. Uh, she says, though we're to meet four hours from now, we need to get ready. Our biggest problem is that the enemy has the deck under tight surveillance. We'll need to head elsewhere when we leave the room. Uh, she has everyone don new disguises and heads out. Uh, the uh, listener uh, surveillance guy among the assassins says that he is interested in a coded transmission not sure what it says. It's on a different frequency than the secret police's line. Uh, and so they pass that information on to the rest of the team. And the and the coordinator says, tell everyone to get them into stage three positions for the ambush. So pieces are moving. Lloyd and Anya are going to be going to where everyone else is. So what's going to happen? They're going to go where the people are. Something, something. I don't know. I was trying to uh, think of the, the Little Mermaid song. Uh, I want to be where the spy people are. <laughs> yeah. Want to see them, see them assassinating. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, this is a fun chapter. It's a pretty short one. It almost kind of just like an intermediary chapter between what we got in the last couple weeks, but it was still fun. I, I do enjoy the, the comedy of Anya trying to think of all these things that could distract uh, Lloyd and every single one of them she either ends up being more enjoyed of or he just solves immediately yeah I mean she is six so it makes sense that she would be distracted so easily yeah all right Chris you need to take Me. the reins as we go through this uh <laughs> next pit I'm reading world trigger all right fuck <laughs> i was doing eden zero first now yeah, we'll have a couple of eden no, zero no, chapters God. but we have we so. nick we had to find out the responses to the responses to the essay question well some of this is actually kind of interesting but it is a very it's going to be shorter than last time because we only have one uh, chapter of world trigger this week the away mission test part nine um so suba turns around the results and lets everyone see that his squad is in last place uh, and immediately Osamu looks at Katori to see if she's going to blow up. And she has a moment where she looks like she's going to, but she takes a deep breath. It's like, okay, it's all four eyes' fault, but it's fine. If he picks up his pace and pulls his weight, we'll be fine. Uh, and then they basically just start, you know, making meal preparations. And they basically confirm that instead of, you know, helping with meal preparation in either the evening or the morning, uh, that Osamu is going to be working on this test. So, uh, then we cut over to Utagawa's squad. They are in third from the bottom. That is the squad that has Yuma on it. And immediately, uh, I can't forget which guy this is, but he's like, yeah, this is Yuma's fault because he kept on interrupting Shiki over every little thing. And we see a little highlight of this, which is where he went. Hi, how do you read this? <laughs> which is great. Um, so they kind of start to turn on each other a little bit. Uh, 
But uh, Utagawa is just like, okay, listen, we're going to change things up a little bit. We're going to change our approach. So Kuga, if you have more questions tomorrow, come to me. Kotaro, you go to Shiki if you need some help. And Shiki is a little bit put off by this because, of course, she's not good with boys. So um, then Utagawa looks over at, at Yuma and he's thinking like, what's their, what's their cover story for his raised abroad thing? I should have checked about that ahead of time. Oh, well. And we go to Wakamura's squad, and he's like, I guess we're second from last. Uh, that sucks. Uh, but he also is like, huh, Yoko's squad is in last. What's going on over there? Um, they uh, they talk about that, and uh, Hughes really talks a lot during this exchange. Yes. And he just brings up, yeah, I mean, I fell behind in my assignments, and uh, Maori was helping me, so she fell behind too, so this isn't really all that shocking. Um one of the other guys on the team springs up like, are you, is your squad going to be okay? Because all you guys are in the bottom three. I mean, all you guys, Chica is the one exception. Uh, but uh, Hughes is like, that's eh, not a problem. You and I will make up for it during the battle phase. It's fine. And uh, for Osamu, he, it's probably that he ran out of uh, Tryon or the uh, operator ran out of Tryon. And so that's why they can, and they ran out of time to complete assignments and that's it. Uh, he'll be fine if he's mindful about that going forward. Uh, so then they bring up, well, doesn't this mean that we should actually be in last place if we went by how the actual scores of the assignments are? That sucks even more. And Hughes says, well, if the universal assignments are what are dragging us down, I have a proposal. You guys do all the work. <laughs> it really is like that. He's like, just share it. Everyone do what they're good at. I'm good at nothing. So I'll just <laughs> grab all the answers. I'll be over here eating the food. <laughs> uh, but he says, yeah, everyone divide up the assignments based off of the subject that you're best at. And then everyone share the information with everyone else. And they bring up like, isn't that like cheating? There's cameras watching us. That's sharing information. But Hughes brings up like when Maori was reading me the questions, I gave verbal responses and nothing was preventing you all from overhearing that. So if passing notes around and copying is breaking the rules, then listening to my answers earlier today, that's also a rules violation, but we still received full credit for the work. Uh, so people were like, wait, so they don't care if we share answers. It's like, yeah, I mean, given the way that things have unfolded here, I don't think that they would. And Wakamura brings up, well, then what's the point of the test? Aren't they trying to gauge our skills and abilities as individuals? And Hughes says, solving these problems the traditional way is hardly a measure, a decent measure of our skills. On a real mission, we would need to adapt. We'd have to solve issues that come up on the fly as quickly and efficiently as possible. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of those kind of things. I've been watching this British show recently called Taskmaster, where... Not about the Marvel villain. Who they no. fucking... It's like they did not get it right in Black Widow. So I, I feel bad. Taskmaster is basically like these comedians mostly are presented with these bizarre tasks to, to accomplish. And if you approach them with the most straightforward method, generally you're not going to do as well as someone who thinks outside the box and approaches things from, you know, an inventive perspective. And that's kind of the thing that seems to be going on with this test as a whole. It's not testing them in the way that they think that they're being tested. And part of the test is to figure out how they're being tested so that they can do it most effectively. And Hughes appears to have caught on to a way to accomplish that. However, everyone agrees that this seems like it could be a good idea from Hughes, but they all turn to Wakamura to make the final decision on if they're going to do this. And Wakamura is like, why do I have to decide? Oh, 
I guess I'm the captain, but... Uh, <laughs> but he says that he'll make his decision in the morning and to give him time for that. Then we go over to Nina Mia's squad and uh, they're like, okay, it's time for food today. Uh, and now it's six straight pages of how different groups prepare food. Yeah. Ozma's like, all right, I'll start with the basic stir fry. Does that sound good? And Nina Mia's like, I don't care. I ingest food. <laughs> I, <osmosis. laughs> I, I fucking, he's such a fucking specific little dork in that he's like, hey, everyone want food? He's like, I don't care what the food is. It doesn't help me get to my goals and shoot people more. Like it's. And there's this very adorable little moment because Chica approaches Ozma and she's like, could you use this? And she's got this tote, this big tote bag with her and opens it up. And there's this wrapped up block of rice in the bag. And Ozma's like, this is the personal item you brought. And she just says, I really like rice. <laughs> I do like it. She, her personal item was rice. So cute. And Ozma's like, well, I guess that I'm making extra rice then. And then Nina Mia just like thinks aloud for no reason. Oh, yeah, I guess that she only ate rice when we got Yakiniku. And Yuzuru's like, wait, you got Yakiniku together? Uh, it's my favorite part of the whole chapter. Just this one two-page sequence. Uh. And then we go to Kakizaki squad and they're talking about food and nothing <laughs> important is said. No, no, nothing, nothing that's relevant. <laughs> nothing important is said. Like the next uh, three pages are basically just like, who does cooking for the various groups? <laughs> we go to Kodera's squad and Okudera and uh, Rokuta are help are making food together. While everyone else like watches them like creeps, <laughs> but uh, then Kodera thinks of something as he's looking at the scoring breakdown for his squad, and he's specifically looking at the way that they have been evaluated on things. And it's hard to tell exactly what he is making note of here. The only thing that really that we see is that Kitora was scored very well. Mm. Uh, and the other three were all approximately in the same range. And so he looks at this and he decides to call up Sua on his phone. And he's like, yeah, I need to ask you something. And that's where we end the chapter is with Sua answering his phone. Like, what do you need to know? It's such a weird way to end it. That definitely, because it definitely I, feels like there was supposed to be a second chapter. I have no idea what he is going to ask about because there doesn't, it, I mean, He's obviously concerned about the scores in some form, but why has he got to call Sue about it? I have no idea. So I guess we'll find out next month. Oh, let me think. Who's, who else is in there? Okudera's Is Okudera part of his squad? Okudera is part of Kodera's squad. No, I mean, Okudera is part of I mean, I mean, who is a member of Sue's squad? Like, who would he be called? I believe that Okudera is part of Ozma's squad, right? I thought Ozma's squad was a couple younger guys. Maybe I'm yeah. wrong. Uh, Sua's squad consists of uh, Sua himself, Daichi Tsutsumi, and Sasamori. So nobody, Su is the, none of the people no here. So we, no. he must be calling either to I don't I don't know I I, I honestly I can't think who he's he, he, who he's contacting. 
Um, no clue. So. This is a fun chapter. This is uh, a frustrating chapter because I would like just a little bit more. Please. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really know what to say beyond it was good. I don't know if we needed five pages explaining who's making breakfast into different groups, but you know, we got it. So I I guarantee that did make some people very happy. Yes. Um so yeah. There were a couple of really good bits. I do like the way that Hughes broke broke it down. It was just like, let's just do this in a much more efficient manner because it seems like that like that kind of stuff is more impressive to me than any other means of approaching the test we've seen so far because like yeah it was cool to see everyone kind of theorizing about why they're in this example but it hasn't actually helped them to differentiate the way that they're approaching it yet so it's like do something different is a good idea at this point. i'm waiting for like the scene where they're in a, a tofka tour and i just like we need somebody to cook or else we're going to die and they're just like fucking azima you cooked breakfast on the first day of the trial exam you can do it or something like that <laughs> chica's favorite food is always rice get her food get her back cuisine uh, all right let's talk about uh in zero nick because we have two chapters to talk about and yeah. it's packed full of content kind of packed uh so we start with chapter 153 the false five uh so uh, we see that there, you know, Rebecca is in a bad spot. She's down to just her leotard. She's about to lose. So she even went back in time and, and tried to figure it out and still lost. So we get a big color page of all the characters in kind of a chibi-fied form. Uh, you know, there's the crew of the Zero and Couch Pose there. So I guess she's really going to be sticking around. Yes. Um, so... Lyra's basically just like, all right, well, this is going to be the last round before you bear it all. And Rebecca starts realizing, hey, something's up. She's cheating. But how can I do this? What can I possibly do here? And they pick their cards. It's a one. Lyra has a five. Boom. That's it. Rebecca loses her leotard. Everyone starts cheering. Uh, so she goes back in time. And it's right before she went about to bear it all. So she... Hits the table and kind of falls to the ground, seemingly mm -hmm. out of exhaustion. And they're like, that's not going to get you out of this. You have to play this last round. You and, have to get your clothes off. And Rebecca's eye is even starting to bleed, which is the sign that that was her last reverse. She can't do it anymore. Right. So it's time to put her cards down. And Rebecca's like, hey, you're cheating. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, do you have proof that I'm cheating? And Rebecca's like, no. So she puts her cards on the table and she stacks her cards exactly how Lyra did originally where the four cards are kind of all on top of each other and then the card she picked is separate. So they're like, oh, wow, is she going to pick that card or not? And Lyra just says to herself, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to use my ether gear to change the card's number anyway. It doesn't matter. You know, she could do this a hundred times. I'm always going to win. Mm -hmm. So uh, Rebecca just says, Rebecca doesn't pick a card. She's just like, I don't need to. I already know it's going to be a one. And Lyra's like, yeah, with my power, it's going to. And But she is like, if you don't show us a card, then you're going to lose. And she's like, hey, I knew you were cheating. And Lyra's like, oh, come on. If you're going to say I'm cheating, then you got to prove it. And Rebecca, like fucking ace attorney, reaches into her fucking chest and pulls out the five. 
And she's like, because I never put a five on the table, see? So how did you have a five? Ba, 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 ba. Um, yeah it's, it's a big dramatic it's just like wait why has that happened so she spreads out all of the cards she realizes it's not four or five or four cards placed face down it's three cards and one of them's ripped up so she mm-hmm. figured this all out and she's like oh you did that back when you fell for the table didn't you so yeah it's a big uh like phoenix right moment until eventually lyra's just like i'm just gonna kill you now and uh, <laughs> <laughs> then Shiki's fight with Callum interrupts into this. And then it looks like there's going to be a fight, but then Jin and Klen show up and they're just like, you guys go, we'll handle this. And I, I saw that moment happen and I couldn't think of anything else. It's like, what the fuck was the point of these past three chapters and this stupid card game besides being really fucking horny <laughs> oh well i mean uh, up until you said that i i was i had an answer ready to go but then you said other than that like, oh um okay so i will i will say the thing that rebecca does to expose the cheat is actually something that i like i mm-hmm. do like that she was clever in the way that she tricked lyra into exposing that she was cheating the fact she put the card between her boobs is <laughs> very unnecessary. No, that but was the I'm most sure necessary that, part of all of this. <laughs> but I'm sure that many people will. Well, will where tell- else was she going to put the next? She has no pockets anymore. So and she has I, to use nature's pocket, which is I, usually I, I, the vagina. But in this case, it was the boobs. I, I have heard that storing stuff in things that support your breast is actually a, a very good place to stow things sometimes. So uh, fair enough. It just seems a little bit gratuitous in this particular context. So but that said, out of the two chapters this week, and we already got to get into the second one just yet. Uh, <laughs> the fact that she did the card trick thing to expose the cheating is literally my favorite thing that happened in Ian Zero this week. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's a very bizarre moment but maybe not the most uh bizarre thing we're going to see so nick let's cut over to chapter 154 of eden zero sky mech ninjutsu which i don't ever recall being a phrase but apparently it is uh because that's what Jin uses anyway we open with i'm her... just amazed that that phrase popped up in this series before it could pop up in boruto Yes, so. well, give it some time. You know, maybe uh, Oshitsutsification will lead to Sky Mech Ninjutsu. Uh, we're gonna get, we're gonna become experts at saying that stupid word by the end of yeah. that series. Oshitsutsification. Um, so Rebecca and Chiki are flying through the air, uh, and a bunch of ships attack them. Happy is on the ground. Rebecca picks up Happy, shoots a bunch of uh, drones. Meet up we with Pino. <laughs> yeah, they meet up with Pino. And Rebecca's there. And as somebody in the chat recently just brought up, uh, I guess Rebecca's bomb collar just doesn't go off. Like, it just yeah. failed to go off or whatever. Um, they basically, uh, Cheeky has a moment where he asks where Wise and Homura are. Wise basically is just like, where in the cosmos did everybody go? And Homura is humbly requesting that uh, Creed does not follow her. Um, and they're just like, but what do you mean? We're going in the same direction. Anyway, the rest of the chapter is spent in the fight with uh, Lyra and Callum against Clean and Jin. And uh, 
there's clean just thinks like oh wow the people there's so many of them and Jin's like there's a lot of noise in here i'll change it to the howl of the wind and it's you know it's very edgy um lyra reveals i guess she didn't really have magic powers anymore (laughs) like her power was just changing cards because she just throws a bunch of cards at clean and clean just blows them away um there's a lot of wind talk a lot of wind talk a bunch of wind attacks uh Callum gets an attack against him and then jumps to the air and says, Sky Mech Ninjutsu attack. And Jin's like, what the heck? Uh, Queen gets distracted as her brother gets attacked. Uh, Lyra uses that as an opportunity to throw flame cards. I guess her powers to put fire in car. I don't know. Her her, her power sucks. Uh, but it still manages to hit Queen because she's distracted. Uh, and we get a flashback because Jin's like, how do you know Sky Tech Minjutsu? And Callum's like, is don't tell me you most, forgot. This is the most <laughs> fan fiction original character sequence that we have read in some time. <laughs> I loved it. I got so excited when I was like, how fucking convenient <laughs> that the dude Jin faced up against who to this point... Like, I, I, maybe someone correct me if I'm wrong, but did not give any indication that she gave a shit about Jin to this point was like, no, I actually have a very involved backstory with you. Oh, uh, because you see, back when, back when Jin was a post-chainsaw surgery cyborg, <laughs> he went to a karate dojo <laughs> to learn ninjutsu. There was... No teases to this. Just boom. They they both went to the same robot ninja school. <laughs> and of course... Uh, oh, when you put it that way, it sounds ridiculous. You know, it worked for Power Rangers. I think it's going to work here. Uh, so uh, Ninja Dude was basically just like, I'll be your sparring partner. And the reason Jin can't recognize him is because he got a haircut. And he's like, I don't know you anymore, my ninja robot training friend. Uh, so they have some fights, but Callum is too strong. He uses all these kind of misemphasized attacks and says, we may have trained together as kids, but if we're mean to get his enemies, then I will destroy you. And Jin tries to recover, but then he starts seeing his body is falling apart. And, uh, Callum just says an Imperial technique for altering my opponent's condition. Empire ether. My carburetor will turn you to mist. And that's the way the chapter ends. So... You know. Uh, is Jin gonna die? Oh no. He might. You never know. Uh, fuck, man. It is so amusing to me that we got. <laughs> what a great, what a great moment. It's it. Oh it, my God. It's, uh, it's, God. <laughs> I'm glad we got both those chapters of, of Eden Zero because they just show you, like, it, it's kind of one of those things that I think that if you listen to us talk about Eden Zero week to week, Sometimes it doesn't sink in how batshit the series is in so many different ways. Yes. You just kind of assume it's like, oh, a bunch of pervy nonsense or occasionally like, oh, a stupid Tory decision. No, no, no. It can be stupid bullshit in a different way every week. And that is why we continue to read it. So. All right. We're going to talk about uh, some newer series now. The Hunter's Guild, Red Hood, Chapter 5. Um, so... 
Nick, is it too late to pull the pin out of this series? <laughs> well, hold on. I'm in two minds about this chapter personally. All right. I want to hear it. On the one hand, it's a stupid chapter, chapter number five, Smoke Signal. But on the other hand, very into one of these characters now. So the witch that we were introduced to before, along with the very giant werewolf, are gazing down at the village. Grimm immediately warns Velo that they need to take the villagers and run. And Velo's like, what are you talking about? Which, like... Why doesn't he think that that's the first thing that they should do? That werewolf could step on all of them in one second. But said werewolf waves his hand and goes, Villagers, fear not. I've come only to check on my sons. (laughs) He's like, oh. And then he's like, I'm not hungry right now. (laughs) Um, Grim tries to attack. Uh, and then, and as she's running up, he's just like, mm, is that Grim of the Hundred Cannons? <laughs> so, sneak attack failed, I guess. Uh, and Grim's just like, I don't care why you're here. All werewolves must die. <laughs> Very well-rounded character moment of hers. Uh, she waves this massive spiky chain at, uh, the werewolf who um, punches the air and the shockwave from the punch blasts apart all of the remaining standing buildings of the village. Um, It turns out that Grimm has wrapped the chain around a bunch of rubble nor to make it into a ball and chain, which she smashes into the werewolf's uh, head, I guess. And the werewolf just goes, I felt that. Uh, And then he just kind of strikes with his hand and smacks her out of the air into the ground. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, he's very strong, he's very sturdy, and he's very fast. Uh, Grim blocks the blow by kind of, I don't know, laying out a, she, she does a Chad from Bleach, catching an Ivar, okay? She just uh, catches across the shoulders, and she's fine now. So, she does that, and she's like, hello, I said to run, and I guess everyone's just been staring in shock while all this has been going on, so they finally start to run, um, while she still manages to hold herself uh, up under the massive arm of this werewolf. But then she goes, oh, damn it, time's almost up. And her body starts to steam. And the witch goes, oh, is your magic spell about to wear off? And Velo's like, magic spell? To which I go, yeah, you know that she was this small, and then she was this big. So, you know, magic being, yeah, anyway. So... The werewolf, however, detects, I don't smell my sons on you. So it must have been you, young peach-colored boy. And he just pokes his head way close to Velo and says, I can smell them on you. The last wisps of my son's souls linger about you. Dodo's regrets in particular cling to your spirit. Proof of a warrior! It doesn't seem all that upset about them being dead. (laughs) Uh, Especially when one betrayed the other and killed him. Yeah, he doesn't know that, though. Yeah, I guess. But he can smell everything. He's like, he like, I smell great honor on this one. Like, huh. yeah. Your social security number is 37924. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I smell a lot of betrayal on this one. No, lavender. Sorry, those two are very similar. <laughs> that scent does not accentuate your best features. <laughs> Fellow picks up a rake and is like, I'm gonna, if you're talking... You want revenge for your family? Well, the same goes for me. I'll take you on. 
And the werewolf, still with his giant face right next to Velo's body, just laughs, really big belly laugh right in his face. And he's like, oh, facing me with a simple farmer's tool. I like you, boy. Uh, he congratulates him on killing a werewolf when he's so young and says, worry not. Out of respect for your bravery, I'll refrain from eating you. For now. Instead, let me wait until you are a warrior grown. I'll look forward to savoring the taste of your blood then. And he turns to leave. While Grim goes, I'm back here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not finished with you yet. <laughs> but the werewolf is uh, basically just uh, cool with it. He's like, yeah, my sons are dead. Let's go home. Came, came here to find him what he wanted to. Yep. Uh, the witch is upset about this. She's like, I haven't done anything yet. But the werewolf replies, then let me ask you to light a final bonfire. Cinderella, the Ashen Witch. Oh, it's another fairy tale reference. Who could have seen this coming? Uh, but he asks for her to create a signal pyre for my sons on their journey to Valhalla. They at least, at least deserve that final gesture for falling in glorious battle. Uh, so uh, Cinderella uh, let's a little beam of light that turns into fireworks drop from her wand and uh, it starts uh, setting the entire village on fire sparks dance from building to building and the werewolf says something that looks like it might have vaguely been in Japanese originally and it's gone untranslated uh, because the symbols look weird so maybe he's just saying and nothing I thought it was like kind of almost Nordic influenced it does look runic yes yeah. I agree some of the symbols look like Japanese, but yeah, some of it doesn't. So Velo tries to run to help put the fire out, but a villager's just like, ah, no, run. The entire place is on fire. So hurrying it to the lake. Um, Grim, while her body continues to steam, just looks up at the witch and the werewolf and is like, you two are direct retainers. Why'd you come way out here in person to check on a pair of minor flunkies? That axe, the boy werewolves something is up with this hamlet what are you two really after and cinderella says like never mind that for now you know okay because uh you know she's a great character <laughs> but she says just take a message to the guild the red list is on the move again that's right we get our akatsuki group five chapters into this series <laughs> and i'm sure we'll get to see all of them so <laughs> Well, let's just say there's uh, other series currently racing this series to the bottom, so it has to deal with those ones first. So, and she kind of mocks Grimm by saying, hey, you can kill as many of us as you want, but the red list just keeps getting longer, and we want to live too. We aren't going to give up. Someday there will be too many of us for you humans to handle. And they leave, going into the giant wave of smoke that has come up from this inferno that she has cast. Later, of course, after the village is burned to the ground, Villa is looking over all the destruction. Grim is back in her childlike form, and she just says the mission was a failure. So according to our contract, I'll return all of your fee. But Velo just says, forget it. Kasoka Village is no more. There are a lot of people missing, too. The person who'd manned the lookout is gone. I told myself I'd protect them. I swore I would protect them. And I feel like one of the villagers is like, hey, don't don't turn down that. We need that money to build new houses. Well, I, I think what's funny, too, is she's like, I'll return the money. And it's like, to fucking who, bitch? If the dude you gave it to died four chapters ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> everyone else is gone. What are you giving me the money for? Yeah. 
She says that she'll call out for a new hunter and get some reinforcements. Once the search for the missing is done, she'll leave. But Velo just says, take me with you. I have to go. Take me to the Hunter's Guild. And, he, and he's got heroic tears of anguish coming down his face. So It's been a rough time for him. Yeah. So, okay, whatever. Uh, this is all <laughs> stuff that could have been done in, like, Chapter 2, probably. Uh-huh. That said, do love the giant werewolf. Think that he is very cool and expressive. So, I I, I think it's unique it, it's amusing both this and Nehru has also finally just gotten to the premise with its new chapter where you're like oh i don't know why you waited four chapters to introduce characters of personality and a plot and things like that um but that's what we're getting here uh normally i would say this is a weird move but then i remember demon slayer is one of the most popular series in, in jump history and it waited until like chapter nine to start a plot so you know um maybe this is just a different kind of trend to a certain extent of what people are willing to do um, i mean for demon slayer established stakes in chapter one though yeah but uh tanjiro doesn't actually get strong until like chapter six like it's it's a long period where he he's just a normal dude and then oh, does yeah. training for a bit i agree i mean it but it is i'm just saying it's very different to go there are demons in this world that I have to fight versus there are demons in this world that I have to fight because my sister is a demon and I need to save her from this one particular one who converted her. So, yeah, I just mean, like, in the same way, this chapter took five chapters to be like, all right, this the village is gone. Let's start the adventure. It felt like Demon Slayer took like a while to be like, all right, now he knows how to fight. He's got breathing style. We're going to do this essentially or whatever. Um, I... <sighs> I just don't I still just don't care about this series in in most ways. Like I'm just like it's not particularly exciting. It's not particularly funny. I don't think there's a ton of personality in a lot of characters except for like the werewolf that we see every so often. Mm-hmm. So I'm still kind of waiting for something to click with this series, but maybe meeting more of the organization, finding out more like the world building is starting to get there for me. But there's still a series I'm just like, I don't know. I'll read it each week, but I don't really have a much uh, excitement for it, so to speak. Maybe Velo will go to this organization and they'll be like, well, you have to be a hunter in order to join us. And here are Grimm's seven wacky siblings who each have a different gimmick that helps them to be a hunter. And <laughs> you have to marry one of them. <laughs> All right. Maguchan. God beep of boop. I don't know Chap- why I said beep boop. There's no robots <laughs> in the chapter, but I don't know. Chapter 53, the Phantom of the Haunted Housing Complex. Uh, so Kyo is uh, telling everyone a ghost story. She says, oh, yeah, this happened recently to my friend. She went to this abandoned housing complex in the mountains. And as she was making her way down a dark hallway, she heard a child's voice coming from somewhere. When she looked, she saw it kid muttering to himself not enough he said not enough blood and i do love that she's doing this we get two very different reactions in the same panel we're going "Ah!" and magu just staring at her nonchalantly (laughs) uncaring uh everyone else in the club is different degrees of kind of freaked out ren just seems to be amazed that kyo is a very good storyteller apparently because she can make all the different creepy faces and stuff but 
everyone else there besides Magu is just freaking out and holding on to each other, uh, including Naputuku. Poor Naputuku. He's scared. It's past his bedtime. He's terrified. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's uh, she's like Kyo says like, hey, let's let's go on a let's go on a test of courage. Uh, after she's also given the detail that on a closer look, the child had no legs. Uh, so they say that there's, there's all this, and she's like, yeah, and it'll be part of our occult studies and stuff. This will be great. Let's go on a ghost challenge. And Ruru says like, no, I'm scared. And Ren says, there's no such thing as ghosts. It'll be fine. But Magu says. Ghost-like presences who inspire fear in lowly humans. It's a problem if some unknown beings are invading my domain. Very well. Show us the way tonight, scholar of darkness. So that settles that. Everyone's going, including the ones who absolutely did not want to go. Uh, And everyone's got their animal sidekicks with them uh, as well. So Uh, they reach the uh, haunted housing complex. It uh, looks dilapidated. There are cracks on some of the walls and stuff like that. They uh, immediately, Kyo and Magu, rush ahead of everyone else. Uh, Ren then says, like, wait a minute. This is my chance to show Ru how brave I am. You guys stay here. I'll go and get the back. So, of course, immediately the party is split up in this very creepy place. Ruru and Yuika are, and Naputuku are wandering around very freaked out cautiously together. And they start to hear a child's voice saying, it's not enough, not enough blood. And Rue's freaking out. Tears are coming to her eyes. She looks through a creepy door and it's Muscar. And Muscar is like, my flesh and blood aren't enough. And he's got just this green juice mix that he's, that he's drinking in order to try and get nutrients so that he can recover his form. And of course, immediately Rue stops freaking out because it's just, it's just Lord Moo. Nothing to be scared of here. She asks Muscar why he's hanging out in this abandoned place. And Muscar's like, I can be wherever I want. This is the secret headquarters of the Chaos Cult. We signed a contract and are paying rent and everything. <laughs> so it's very official. They're the only tenants here, however. And uh, yeah, so everything that they that, that Kyo told them about, yep, matches Muscar. He's the ghost. And Ruru's like, oh, it's okay. I solved the mystery, guys. She turns around to Yuika and Nabuta. They're not, they're gone. And uh, they're, they're both still freaking out. They're like, oh, I'm not staying here. I'm leaving. I'm going. Um, uh, both of them try and put on a brave front to the other. Oh, I'm not, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. Uh, Unisuke is, uh, is still with them, and he's just, like, completely fainted from the stress of everything. We cover to where Magu and Kyo are. Ren has, has uh, caught up to them. And uh, Ren's trying to get them to go back, but Maga's like, we will not stop until the identity of the Phantom is revealed. Uh, they hear some noises coming from upstairs. It turns out that it is the clo- the false Magu that Oneris made that, of course, hangs out with, with Muscar's group. She, uh, Kyo is the only one who spots it, so she separates uh, from the group because she's like, oh my god, it's a doppelganger. I'm going to dissect it. She runs off with Gula to try to get a sample of the thing. We go over to Muscar, and uh, he is very annoyed that he's uh, a, the subject of a ghost story because he hates humans, and that that's a human thing. So He uses his fate adjustment, uh, and he's like, I'm going to find everyone so that you can gather everyone around and get them the hell out of here. However, he kind of senses them in a sort of sonar way. They're by their shapes rather than by all their other features. So he sees Kyo with Gula raised above her head. So she looks almost insect-like. And he freaks out when he sees this. 
Um, then we cover to where Magu is. He happens to spot the human follower of Muscar, who is doing a new dance of chaos in order to pray for the regeneration of Lord Muscar. Don't like this character, but I do love Magu's reaction because he opens the door, looks inside, and then just slams the door. It's like, and Ren's like, "Hey, don't don't do that! Don't don't enter rooms without permission." And Magu's just like, "It was empty. Just, I'm not gonna do bullshit. <laughs> I'm tired of this." And uh, he decides that this entire thing was pointless. So he's like, "I'm out," and he he goes to jump through the window. Uh, and Ren's like, oh, "Slow down!" He tries to catch him. Uh, Unfortunately, this means that Magu splats on the window of the floor below, which, of course, Naputuku and Yuika see. And they see him as a creepy ghost, and they freak out about this. And then they go running, and they run into Ruru. And they're like, oh, it's a ghost, a ghost, a ghost. And then, <laughs> of course, Muscar's still with Ruru. And they're like, it was a ghost. And Naputuku looks at Muscar, and he's like, who is this? <laughs> because he doesn't remember Muscar no matter what. Um... Magu comes across the juice that Muscar abandoned and he starts drinking it and uh, he doesn't want to abandon it because he's a glutton. So Ren tries to pull him away. And of course he slips off the ground and rebounds into Ren's face. And oh my gosh, Magu stuck to Ren's face and he's wandering down the stairs and he looks all creepy. Ah. And everyone freaks out and they all run away. Oh, it's a ghost. Except for Kyo, who grabs Magu, and it turns out it's, it's everything's fine now. Everything's okay. okay. That's the end of the chapter. It was a ooh shenanigans. So, Nick, did you uh, did you ever watch Arrested Development? Yes. Did you watch the Netflix seasons at all? No. Okay. So I only recently started getting into Arrested Development, um, and. I've gotten through about the first season since it moved to Netflix and there's a lot of discussions on it. It's, you know, because pretty much everyone from the cast kind of got more prominent after the show was done right? and it was very difficult to get them all together. There's very, actually very few episodes where more than one or two, maybe three characters are actually in an episode together. It's just hard to actually get everyone's schedules to line up. Uh, But the episode, the season is this, exceptionally well-constructed storyline where there'll be stuff from like the first or second episode jokes throwaway mentions things like that that pay off like seven or eight episodes down the line like there's a lot of very intricate work it is very i i absolutely appreciate the writing now it's not very funny and that's what this chapter was i appreciate the writing <laughs> so so much it's not very funny but i i really do appreciate the amount of writing that had to go into this it is very technical i really enjoy that part yeah i mean i was trying to keep up the enthusiasm all the way through it this was not one of my favorite chapters of magu-chan but unfortunately it's a kind of it is a thing where i couldn't like skip past the parts that i didn't like because it all does flow into itself. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I can I, I agree with you. I appreciate. There are a few jokes here and there that I did really like. Uh, but honestly, the stuff that I liked the most was just the one-off stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, where like Naputuku sees Muscar and he's like, Who is this? Because that's that's just Naputuku. Or, you know, Magu going off about like, you know, stupid human shit or, you know, slamming the door and stuff. That's great. But all the stuff of like, oh, it was all oh, the thing. Oh, they were scared by the thing. Eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> eh, whatever is pretty much the way to respond so. to it. 
Um, yeah, it's fine, but you know, I appreciate the writing. <laughs> uh, Nick, let's talk about Mashal Magic and Muscles Chapter 72 Mash Bird Dead and the Giant's Chain. So, uh, last time we left our heroes, uh, all of the monsters, the Demogorgons, I don't know what the fuck they're called, they still don't really give them a name, just monsters, I guess, have fused into one giant super beast, and it's it's covered in all these chains, and Wahlberg just says, this apparition could destroy the city in an instance, uh, and uh, Innocent Zero is just like, you sounded confident before, stop it if you can, Mashburn did, as some without magic is even capable of such a feat. And Wahlberg's like, oh, he's putting Mash's strength to the test, but the difference in powers is just too vast. And suddenly, everyone from the school starts waking up. The The mist that was knocking them unconscious is starting to lift, and they're all seeing this giant monster coming towards them that's... Well, and, and Innocent Zero has left. Yes. So, uh, so it, it's de- like all of them realize this monster is going to destroy the school, and it, it slaps at the ground and starts launching all of these rocks... Uh, Lance shows up and uses one of his magic spells to to stop the rocks. Uh, prior to that, he has an image of his little sister kind of calling out to him. So he just says, you're always there when I need you, Anna. And I do like Dot just being like, what the fuck was that cutscene, dude? <laughs> Whatever. And then just shoots a bunch of bombs. She- I do like, because I, I, I was confused by that too. It's like, Anna's not there. What the fuck's going on? And, uh, and Dot just calls it out. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, dot fires this big explosion spell but it's blocked there's a barrier that showed up out of nowhere and stops it and uh, Gehenna shows up says that's a magic nullifying barrier there should be another magic user controlling it until we stop them magic is going to be ineffective against this guy so we have to find this person and stop them but whoever it is is hiding and there's no time this guy is coming to destroy the school so they're in a bad spot everyone starts screaming for someone to save them they don't want to die it's the end of their school but then the monster stops and everyone says, wait, what? why did it stop? And we see that the big chain around its back has been pulled taut. And everyone's like, wait, something's holding it back. And they look and it's Mash. He has planted his feet. He's grabbed onto the chain and he is holding the monster still single handedly. The monster turns around and grabs the chain and the two of them get to a tug of war contest. <laughs> It's a really cool two-page spread, too. Yes. So. Uh, everyone's like, wait, should we leave it to Mash? I mean, he can't even use magic. He's like him, top of the school. Everyone starts basically having these discussions about him. Like, there's no room for this kind of guy and everything like that. And the monsters roars. And the chain is even starting to fall apart from the amount of strength that's being used to kind of hold this beast back. And suddenly one guy just goes, wait, does it matter? Doesn't matter if he can't use magic. He's trying to save us at our school. And they can see, I don't know if they can see it, but his hands are getting bloody from how tightly he's gripping this chain. And suddenly one person just says, you can do it. And we start seeing more people saying, you can do it. You can do it. And Finn watches on saying, I wouldn't believed it. Mash has been nothing but a pariah at the school, always on the verge of being expelled. Mash, who can't use magic in a world where magic is everything, He's changing the rules, and we cut to pretty much a a full-page spread of the audience of students cheering for MASH to do his best, saying, you don't, don't give up, you can do it, we believe in you, you got this, MASH burn dead, and MASH finishes it by winning the strength of the contest and tossing the beast into the air, and it falls to the ground, 
uh, seemingly defeated in a, a kind of big two-page spread. Yeah. Satisfying to see the uh, student body just being like, why does it matter? He's yeah. saving our asses. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we really shouldn't be uh, choosing beggars at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it's a little bit weird because on one hand, it kind of feels like it's something a little bit early, people accepting MASH. But then you think like it's been almost a, it's been like a year and a half that the series has been running now. So, yeah, maybe you like get more people on to accept MASH and be cool with him being at this, you know, school at least amongst the student body she still of course has to deal with the higher-ups the elites in the society who are trying to get rid of him and sabotage his chances and everything like that but yeah especially if this is going to be like it's considering the thing that got interrupted this might be you know mash proving himself and getting uh that i forget the exact name of the position that they're going for so It, it is interesting i I feel like somebody, I can't remember if it was a tweet or something like that. Uh, I think Kirby Mon posted something about it that Mashal, I don't know if it was the creator, said that Mashal was about halfway over. Um, which, at one hand, I was like, that's crazy. And then I was like, eh, not really. One, those, you know, uh, guess is always off, but I, I again, I always think to like Demon Slayer. And I was like, that was only two hundred chapters. Like, hmm. I, I absolutely like it would blow my mind, but it wouldn't stun me if that's the case. So I definitely really enjoy this one. I think it's a great little scene of everybody cheering for him. Um, I think it was a ton of fun. I I really thought it was a a fun, nice chapter. Yeah. It was just nice to have us. It was nice just to have a very straightforward and the good guy won and everyone was happy yeah. kind of thing, especially because uh, Mashal's been pretty actually d- just bizarrely dark the, la- the last uh, couple of weeks. It's so. been very serious and, mm-hmm. you know, it is nice to get that other stuff. Yeah. Mash won a tug of war contest and beat up a giant. There you <laughs> go. Let's move on to The Elusive Samurai, Chapter 26, Kokushi 1334. So we're introduced to a new villainous character in this chapter. Uh, but we start off on uh, a pretty positive note uh, as uh, Tokiyuki and his retainers are kind of wandering around the fields. And uh, they're like, oh, everyone seems happy with the harvest. And Shizuku brings up that this is because the second crop is not taxed. Uh Fubuki's th- thinking about food because that's his thing. Um, and uh, however, as everyone was looking around at this, and we get narration saying, ah, oh, the second harvest in April, the people of Shinano are all smiles. And then we cut to northern Shinano where some people are beating up farmers and taking their crop. They're like, I'm taking some of this. And, uh, and people, of course, object. the second crop is taxed. But uh, the guy who's taking the crops just says, well, you dogs wagged your tails for the Hojo, so you scum don't have a right to a single worm. And then we cut over to. So I could say a creepy looking guy, but this is a villain in the Elusive Samurai, so I think that usually goes without saying. Yeah, I was going to say, that's 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 redundant. (laughs) With uh, painted on facial hair. Uh, false eyebrows, false mustache, false goatee. Uh, and 
He doesn't say a haiku, but I'm not sure what this poem is. So anyway, but uh, he's looking over every, uh, everyone while he's being carried around by, by Paul, Be- Paul Bears, basically <laughs> throne bears. Uh, he, he is Kyohara Shinano no Kami, the Kokushi of Shinano. I'm just going to call him the Kokushi because I'm not sure what else and what anyone else refers to him as. So Sugawara is there and he's like, hey, so isn't that, I mean, there is an agreement that only the first crop gets taxed. But the Kokushi says, well, that was under the traitorous Kamakura shogunate and the emperor himself has made me Kokushi. So now I make the rules in Shinano. And yeah, he gets no ob- objection from this. And then he says to Sadamune, you know, I told you to have fuller eyebrows. As you, as one who once lived in Kyo, you must not neglect elegance here in the sticks. And then he just takes out a brush and just goes over to Sadamune and just, just paint these stupid looking eyebrows on you too. There, that's better. That's better. This guy's weird. And he's very close. He's very close. His nose seems to be touching Sadamune's. It's too close. Six feet, six feet minimum. So we are introduced to what a Kakushi in this time period is, which is essentially a prefectural governor. Uh, and essentially, even a Shugo, as in Sadamune, has to actually show deference to a Kokushi. This person yields more authority in this area by the official structure of the government. Um, meanwhile, the farmers are still arguing with the guy who was trying to take their crops. And uh, so the Kokushi says, yeah, order your man to kill two or three of them as an example. So yeah, this guy is a real dickhead. Yeah, he's not a nice dude. Nice. Which is weird for a character in the Elusive Samurai. Usually yeah. all these dudes are, are pretty up 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 yeah. on uh the up and up. So because of the Kakushi's actions here, the people are incredibly angry. Like their you know, their friends are being killed in front of their eyes, their crops are being stolen. Uh we cut over to Yorishige and Tokiyuki talking about uh this area. And Yoroshige says, yeah, there's a man in the Suez sect named Hoshina Yasaburo, unable to endure the Kokushi's oppressive taxes, he has raised an army. Those living under the enemy must obey the enemy in order to cultivate followers. And given the difference in numbers, Hoshina's rebellion stands no chance of victory. And Sua cannot send aid to them. Dispatching soldiers into the territory would lead to all-out war. So I want you and the elusive warriors to go instead. You must convince Hoshina's followers to stop fighting and help them to escape. So Kojiro is is there with uh, Tokiyuki and he says, well, yeah, this is I mean, this is but this is going to be like we're going to be going a long ways away. And you were like worried before about, you know, nearby reconnaissance. So why are you cool with us going there? And Tokiyuki starts to go, oh yeah, he couldn't see the future. And Yorishige just clamps his hand over his mouth to shut him up and stop that. But uh, Yorishige assures Kojiro saying, I foresee that Tokiyuki-sama will return alive, but I cannot see how many members of the Sua sect will die. Even in a distant locale, believers in Sua Myojin are important allies and Hoshina is dutiful and skilled, so I do not want him killed for no reason. 
And uh, then we get the important bit that's going on right here, which is kind of just setting up the stakes, not just as they actually are in this present situation, but the stakes of Tokiyuki's development and growth as a warrior and general. And he says, you've been escaping on your own this entire time, but you can't be a general leading army by just doing that. You must become an elusive general who helps as many fighters as possible get away. We cut ahead to Tokyuki having set off on this mission, and it's uh, just the boys amongst the elusive warriors who are on this mission. So Genba is there, Fubuki is there, Kojiro is there, uh, but uh, not Ayako and not Shizuku. And it's odd because Genba's like, why ain't the girls here? And Tokyuki says, according to Yoroshige Dono's foresight, the girls would be in danger. And Fubuki says, after all, there could be fighting. Which, Ayako's a, a fighter. That's that's what she does. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't quite understand that implication. Especially when it cuts over to Kojiro. I thought his response would have been like, she's just as good as I am, or something like that. Yeah. But he doesn't say anything like that. So I don't really get what's going on with that. Uh, maybe it'll clear up in time, but yeah, it is a very weird sentiment to like explain why only half the group goes, which I understand. It's a lot of characters. Maybe didn't have something for mm-hmm. everybody to do, but why have the explanation be like, yeah, well, this might be tough. The girls would be a danger. You're like, one of the girls is a warrior. What the fuck are you talking about? I, I, I don't get that, and it's not a satisfying explanation in the moment. There are a billion different ways you can explain this away. It could be Yoroshige being like, I have foreseen that if they specifically went on this mission, then they might very well die. Whereas all of y'all, you're good. You're good. Yeah. Um, obviously, the real reason does seem to just be just going to be easier to handle things if we just have a more limited number of characters as opposed to having to juggle a slightly bigger group. Presumably, Shizugu and Ayako will be you know more important to the next mission, whatever. But... It is a little bit weird. It's like, yeah, only the boys are going. Um, Kojiro is left to kind of think about the situation that they're heading into because he's like, if the young lord isn't going to die, that might be because I'm here and I stay close by and I protect him. But if I do that, then I won't be participating in the battle surrounding us. My behavior could result in more deaths. So he's a little bit paranoid about how she should act in this situation that they're going to be heading into. Uh, but Tokyuki seems pretty confident in what, the, uh, what they're working with. He says to Fubuki that they're going to rely on his tactics. And, of course, Genba's skills will help them in a mass escape. Uh, and he's like, make sure you tell Fubuki about your skills and abilities so that he knows what we're working with. And then he says, Kotro, operate how you wish. I expect leadership from you as well. After all, you'd be bored just protecting me. And Kotro's like, oh. Tokyuki's growing up a little bit. He's acting more like a general. So he's reassured by this. They go to the base. They arrive presumably the next day. And Tokyuki acts as if he is a messenger there. as Because now that's the cover. So he's taken in by a very smiley-faced guard to go and speak to Hoshina. And uh, everyone's like, oh, great. Yeah, you know, this will work out because Tokyuki's got refined manners that put people at ease. He is perfectly suited for negotiation. This is great. Uh, and then they arrive in the, in the 
strategy tent and everyone's glowering and glaring and really pumped up and intense. And they're just like, did you bring reinforcements? We're going to go fight. And Tokiki tries to speak, but they immediately conclude, wait a minute, you didn't bring in reinforcements? Well, fine, let's go. We're going to go charge into our deaths. And everyone's like, yeah. And Tokiyuki, of course, is shocked by this. Uh, but they're just like, this This asshole Kakushi is lining his pockets while everyone dies. He kills anyone who can't pay his taxes. Myojin is not sending reinforcements. But even if we stand no chance, we are going to risk our lives. And we are warriors. Land is a warrior's life. That's worth dying for. So let's go die to glorious death in battle. And Tokiyuki, you know, is like, oh, God, what am I going to do? How am I going to convince them to abandon this and and get to to safety? So very intense uh, and very very rapid escalation of the situation. And then we end on a joke because they're like, wait a minute, the guy outside was really cool. What what's with that? And then the guy outside is just like, to the death. And you're like, oh, his face is just really friendly and nice. Yeah. Well, there you go. Get a good gag out of that. All right, let's talk about Black Clover Nick, page three hundred and one. Those feelings. So, oh. Asta shown up, uh, used his uh, sword to basically undo the Lupachika turning into a super bomb. Uh, but they say, hey, she's still got active curses on her. Only yes, one very of- conveniently placed curse markings. Yes. Too. Uh, right over any uh, precious bits. Uh, leave Shriver. No, Sabretooth. That's his name. Sorry. <laughs> Shows up, says, only one of the gates to the underworld is open. What is the Supreme Devil doing here? And he says, look, I'm going to be honest. Without doing you novel, we've got no shot of winning this. Uh, Magicula is basically just like he managed to beat like that inside the de- decaying world. I see. So he's the anti-magic user Vanica and the others mentioned. He's intriguing, but he could conceivably bring about the most unthinkable situation. So that's enough games. I'll kill Lola Pachika and Vanica and then manifest completely. So we start seeing some of the curse marks start activating and then they start vanishing. And it's Charlotte. She's gotten up and is using her briar magic to basically weaken the curses. And they're like, wait, what's how is she up? She should have been beyond recovery. And then Rill shows up and says, this is the type of spell I'm used to. So it took a while to activate. So, okay, Rill. Yeah. He activated. Whatever you say, Rill. <laughs> Real basically is like, hey, you guys showing up basically helped me because I was working on this big spell, but I would have died before I finished it. So thankfully you showed up. Um, I don't exactly know. It, basically, it's like a shield spell. He's like, as long as the spell is active, it boosts the magic of anyone around me and makes it so they won't die no matter what damage they take. And again, it's one of those things of like, your art magic's fucking busted. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he basically just like, yeah, I'm going to use that one really conditional ult from League of Legends that prevents everyone in an area from dying. And that's all it does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they're like, all right, you know, Magicool even has to kind of give it up to him. Like, all right, you're doing it. All right. You're like, These humans are pretty sweet, I guess. You really are fascinating. But it doesn't really matter because I also have an army of monsters. Like, basically, Vanica has been amusing herself murdering people for a while. So I'm imbuing them with the power of devils. And now they're basically living corpses of blood and steel. And there are a hundred of them. So what are you possibly going to do? Uh, Undine shows up, basically saves everybody. 
uh, or saves Asta rather in the Lupa Chica. And Asta openly admits, at this point, I'm useless. So the rest is all yours. And Noel shows up and is just like, no, it's okay. You've done enough. Just that the fact that you came simply thinking about you gives me strength. Oh, it really is true then. I've been explaining it away. But to think I'd realize at a time like this, I love Asta. But this is a battlefield. So for now, I'll focus on killing Mejikula. And she activates Saint Stage once more. The final Saint Stage, she's calling it. Yeah. Uh, much happier with this sequence of events now that we've gotten this chapter. And it doesn't turn out that Ast just solves everything with his magic go bye bye stick. Um, <laughs> All uh, the people who gave me shit before when I was like, I think oh well still gonna play a part in the finale of this is like no ass to show up he's gonna tap her on the chin she's gonna be dead like i don't know it felt like they were gonna do something <laughs> um yeah i i much prefer that you know ass is showing up and has given the crucial assist at a time that he was really needed allow people to regain their bearings and now so it's going to essentially be this the remains of this original group that are hopefully going to be the ones to take down Megakula. and hey on top of that Character growth for Noelle, where she's just like, yeah, wow, I guess I actually love this stupid idiot. It only took 300 chapters for that. <laughs> you know what? It's, uh, it's, as far as long-running shonen uh, action series go, that's not too bad. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, like, it's weird because I'm reading uh, Nisekoi, and I was like, oh, wow, within the first 50 chapters, we finally get the two leads. Like, it, Well, we get at least one side of the leads admitting they have feelings for one another. And I was like, oh, wow, that's that's crazy. And then I looked at this, and I was like, 300 chapters, but I was like, I guess Battle Manga do have a different standard for that. Like, fucking did, or he may, I guess she always admitted she had feelings for Ichigo, but I was like, did she ever get that moment where she just straight up like, I love this fucking dude, or did they just get married at the yes. end? Yes. Yes. She had the moment where she was, she had been given like 24 hours before she had to hand herself over to Grimjow and Ukior and okay. stuff. And she has the moment where Ichigo is asleep and she goes to visit him. Um, and she okay, steals his stuff. She takes it. Okay. So, yeah, just, uh, I'm just going to take you. <laughs> I'm in his oh, room. Hey, there's, a card, there's a card here for six, for six weeks free on Netflix. I'm going to take that. <laughs> I've been, all of his AOL discs. <laughs> it's, it's all garbage <laughs> for some roughly, reason. Roughly appropriate for the time period of Bleach, actually. <laughs> uh, according to this, um, that happened, uh, in, oh gosh, I can't remember exactly where it was. It was like chapter 200. It was roughly around chapter 240. Uh, so, and that was where she confessed to Ichigo while he was asleep that she loved him. So, that puts that ahead of this by a good year plus of publication. So maybe as far as showing series go, maybe not uh, actually. So she, maybe it was kind of slow. <laughs> and that was just her admitting it to herself. So yeah. Who knows when she's going to tell uh, stupid Asta that she likes him. So stupid stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, but yeah, I came across away from this chapter overall, liking it real fuck him. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, we agree. Uh, other than that, pretty good. Let's move on. Finish things up with One Piece chapter 1020. 
Robin versus Black Maria, which features a uh, uh, front panel that I really like of Denjiro munching on his own pompadour because he thinks it's giant shrimp, which I actually really think is funny. So, so we begin with the battle between Yamato and Kaido, uh, and they're talking about how fucking pissed off that Kaido is that Yamato ate it because it was worth a lot to him and uh, it could have been used on you know a soldier or somebody else like that and we get specifically what the devil fruit was a mythical type devil fruit model Okuchi no Makami a rare mythical wolf and so it's a, a dog dog fruit model uh, and so the Makami is this legendary Japanese entity that I uh, did not know about prior to this thing so uh, it's we amazing. were all wrong. Basically. Uh, most people, I think, were wrong. They were going for much more well-known uh, Japanese uh, folklore creatures. Uh, but apparently, this mythical wolf is a guardian spirit of Wano, which makes losing it to someone claiming to be Odin especially painful. And uh, so, but he's like, but hey, you know what? You can be, you can protect Wano for me. And of course, Yamato's like, no. It's not what I want. <laughs> and he declares, I will free them. I will liberate this country and its samurai and release them unto the world. And then he unleashes a freaking breath weapon, <laughs> which is pretty badass. Yeah. But uh, Kaido, of course, immediately counters it with his own. And they just counteract each other and swirl into each other. And Kaido de de declares that Yamato will never open up Wano's borders. You will never do it. And they're just left staring at each other and panting. We then cut to the banquet hall where Robin is staring down all of Black Maria's followers. Or is she? Because she's looking at Olivia, her mother, and Professor Clover, and, aw, it's Saul. They're all there, and they're happy to see her. And she starts to walk towards them and she's opening her arms out. She's I've missed you all. And they're saying, yeah, look at how big you've gotten, Robin. And of course, Brooke is there behind her and he says, don't go, Robin. And Robin says, yes, I know. It's such a shame. And she summons three giant hands with her devil fruit ability and just smacks all of them on the chin. They were all just members of Black Maria's crew, of course, that were disguised by the illusion mist that had been summoned. Uh, and, uh, Brooke's like, I mean, you could have told me it wasn't working on you, Robin, <laughs> but she's fine. Um, people start, you know, taking the more direct approach there uh, as Robin and Brooke try and, uh, run away. Uh, Black Maria tears after them along with her, with her numbers followers. Uh, and Robin's like, huh, you didn't have a problem with the, uh, illusion mist either. And Brooke just says, after 50 years of practice wishing every day that the death of your friends was only a dream, one does get used to being hurt by illusions. Such a dark fucking Jesus. explanation, but it does make sense. Yeah. And Robin's like, oh, I guess we have a lot of comments. It's like, Jesus. Some of the straw hats have really dark backstories. Um, as they're being chased, uh, Black Maria swings her weird club at them, and it turns out that the bearded flaming face in her club thing is um a guy who has eaten the devil fruit, which allows him to turn the fl fire wheel on fire. Uh, 
And uh, Black Mirror is like, oh, that's fine. If you can't be tricked by illusions, uh, how can you say that, that, though, when you're clearly dreaming? Dreaming about beating Master Kaido? Oh! Uh, Robin gets them above the huge wave of flames that she conjures up. Uh, and Robin's like, you're going to burn down the castle if you keep going like that. But Maria's like, well, then maybe you should just give up and let me catch you. Touche. Yeah, so. uh, Brooke says, Robin, would you mind dangling me under your arm like this for a bit longer? And for a second, I was like, is he going to do something really perverted? Like, is, does he have like a being carried fetish? No, 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 no. It's, it's, I legitimately thought that was supposed to be the thing because he is yeah. like kind of a pervy character. But then when he was like, oh, wait, no, I'm going to use my power. I was like, oh. Brooke really okay. turned us around. Uh, and so he's like, oh, I mean, if that weapon's a living creature, then I can do this. And he goes into a spiritual form and just uses his cold soul ability to freeze all the flames surrounding the Wanyudo. And uh, so, yeah, no more flame conjuring powers for Black Maria. So she just swings her giant club at them instead. That's way less dangerous. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Brooke then uh, uses more of his abilities to freeze the flames that have already been, been conjured and, and douse them all. Uh, and, uh, meanwhile, Black Maria is mocking them all saying, oh, Black Leg Sanji knew I was hunting for you, but he helped you lure you right into my trap. So you, the crew just thinks of you as baggage, the target of figures bigger and more powerful than you. And that's why he was so eager to guide you to me. Uh, and now everyone's laughing at him. Everyone's laughing at Sanji. Not right now, but yeah, you know, sometimes people do laugh at him. Yeah. Uh, it just tells you a lot about the level of your little crew. And, but Brooke just laughs this off and says, Oh, that's Sanji. I nearly split a seam laughing. And then he says, Robin, do you mind if I leave her to you? And, uh, Robin's like, yeah, thanks. Uh, and he will instead take care of, in his words, the ghoulies whom he hates. Uh, so he's going to basically just cut off Maria's followers so that it's a one-on-one -on -one battle. And Maria's like, "Ah, did I hurt your feelings? But Robin says, no, he's a very kind man. You don't need to know what it means that Sanji relied on, upon me for help. He is truly worthy of being the wings of the King of Pirates. And she crosses her arms over her chest and summons a giant naked version of herself behind her. And that's where, where that scene ends. It... Yep. <laughs> Uh, we can then go over to Luffy uh, as the sub has beached and everyone's out on the shore now. Uh, Shinobu and Momo have uh, reunited with him and he's just like, I need more meat! And everyone's just saying, you've eaten all of our food. All of it. <laughs> uh, Momo is, look, is, you know, kneeling down over Luffy who's still lying on the ground and uh, Luffy's like, oh, you fell down too, huh? And uh, they're like, yeah, we escaped on Shinobu's kite and Momo starts crying and saying but Luffy during the escape I could just oh I could only watch as Kinemon and Kiku but Luffy just says hold it in hold it in until later because you're still the leader here so don't start crying before we're done none of this is finished until I smash Kaido I'm not losing the next round also Caribou is there okay I don't he's got to do something they've introduced him in this arc so I assume he's going to be involved in some fashion but I can't imagine what it is unless he's just there to drop the fact that he knows information about uh, Poseidon that the other characters don't. So, 
he does establish in this panel within his very brief appearance that he has a stake in Luffy's side winning this conflict because otherwise um, he can't leave. Uh, so there you go. But Luffy at that moment, after he gives this big speech about, you know, needing to beat Kaido, he points up towards Onigashima and says, Momo, take me back up there. Turn into a dragon and fly me up. So we'll see if uh, Momo can pull that off uh, soon. We'll see where the next chapter takes us. That is something that I know that some people were predicting that that, that would be Luffy's way of uh, getting back up onto the island, especially because it's been established that Momonosuke fucking hates heights. So we'll see. Yeah, we shall. Um, I don't know. I wanted to like this chapter a lot more. I think part of me gets a little bothered that so much of this chapter where Robin gets a fight is spent talking about fucking Sanji. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That kind of like annoyed me. I was like, I get it. Sanji's a cool character, but like, I don't know. It's weird that fucking a battle manga managed to fail the Bechdel chest. Essentially, <laughs> like it's <laughs> like you're just like, oh, they were just supposed to fight each other, and they still only spend it talking about fucking Sanji. Um, point. Yeah. But I, you know, I am pretty excited for them to actually fight. Essentially, yes. and, which presumably will be the next chapter. We just wrapped up two fights. I don't think they're going to draw this one out too long. Yeah, I was getting worried about halfway through this chapter because of the way that the other fights that we've seen thus far have unfolded. You know, Frankie and uh, mm-hmm. Sasaki, their fight when we actually focused on it was actually very short, uh, etc. That, oh, is this going to be another one chapter fight? And the Robin versus Maria fight is going to be spent focusing a lot on Brooke's contribution to the fight. I was like, oh no. But then we get just the scene cut. And it's like, okay, we're going to leave Robin and Maria there. Robin has just revealed the next stage of her devil fruit ability, which is, um, I mean, it's, it's a little bit, you know, fa- weirdly fan servicey, but I do think it looks cool uh, on its own as well. Just all the arms surrounding this huge, version of herself behind her hopefully it doesn't have come more problems uh the way that her powers always have had so maybe uh i'm I'm still honestly pretty excited so you know i i i think the fight should be good hopefully it's been a long time since robin's had like a big big fight skypea so. <laughs> yeah uh, or that guy she beat at Fishman Island really, really, really. She quickly. didn't. She beat up slavers. She didn't even fight one of the big people. You're right. And she didn't even do a thing in Dressrosa because she just stepped aside. So that she could... watched and got hit wow. with a bunch of maces. It was very impactful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess I can see. Yeah. It's but it's just the setup. So hopefully, it's it's a good payoff for her. All right, Nick, let's talk about favorites. Favorite chapter of the week, MVP of the week. Okay. I think my favorite chapter was... (laughs) Black Clover. (gasps) Um... When was the last time that happened for Nick? It's been a while, I think. Uh, back in May, we both, everyone gave Black Clover chapter of the oh. week that week. So, 
yeah, like I said, I mean, this chapter was good in it. Oh, yeah, it was probably the. Uh, it was Ma- it was what Magna beat up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right. That's good. Um, not quite as assured about it this time because, I mean, this chapter did have fucking real. Uh, but, um, you know, I mean, th- there are a lot of different things to like about that chapter. And then, honestly, overall, not very stiff competition this week, uh, unfortunately. So. And I'm going to be equally surprising as Nick here. Uh, my chapter of the week is Mashal, Magic, and Muscles. Uh, <laughs> Not equally surprising at all. Everyone's most expect The number one series I tend to give it a chapter of the week. <laughs> um, you would have been if you had given it to... Hang on. Hang on. No, it would have been a bigger surprise if you had given it to Red Hood. So I don't think that there's any equivalent. <laughs> uh, all right. So we did that. My character of the week, though, yep. fan yep. favorite. I'm giving it to Ida. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And the audience yeah. does as well. The audience actually uh, picked Ida as well. And my hero was their chapter of the week. With a special mention for me f- to Chica, just for, <laughs> I like rice. <laughs> I like rice too. Can't go wrong with it. So yeah, Ida definitely was. Uh, I, I mean, like it. His involvement in the chapter is the motion is probably amongst the most eye-catching emotional stuff uh, that is that has happened in my hero in a while. It said that I don't think I gave enough attention to when we were going through the chapter itself. But the one panel where he streaks by Deku and grabs onto his hand, really good. Yes. Okay. That all said, thank you everyone for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. It was an odd set of chapters that we went through this week. But if you are ready for even more, we will be back next week with next week's chapters. Usual time here on twitch.tv slash T. Wednesday, roughly around 7.30 Eastern Time. You can also catch recordings. That's what they are. I should also, uh, before we actually get too far, and I want to give a a special plug to something that I was on that I don't want people to go check out. I was on the Demon Slayer podcast. That episode has finally gone up. If you want to check out all my thoughts on Demon Slayer, I assume Weekly Manga Recap will eventually get to doing it as a recommendation. It's it's on there. But in the meantime, if you want to see all my thoughts, or hear all my thoughts, rather, go check out the Demon Slayer podcast. It's the newest episode. Uh, we also take some time out to, of course, dunk on Bleach. So don't worry. <laughs> that is in there. Uh, yeah, next week we should be back to talk about Alice in Borderland. Uh, so look forward to that, everybody. And... Uh, you can check out recordings of our past episodes both on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash recap. You can also listen to the audio versions on weeklymagarecap.podbean.com as well as on Spotify. Essentially, anywhere podcasts can be listened to, you can find us there if you search for Weekly Manga Recap. We would like to give special thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon, patreon.com slash recap, where you can find bonus content uh, available on there that we love giving to you guys monthly, including monthly other recap, which yes. uh, should be updated whenever Chris does it. I don't so know. by the time you're listening to this after the fact, it is either gone up or will be going up very soon. Probably actually this will be up right before it. I would expect the Friday of this week to be mm. when it goes up. Cool. Uh, 
I also want to give special thanks to everyone on our Discord community, including Ninja X3i. If you like the stuff that we do here, you should also talk about that with other people who listen to us because there's a wonderful community on our Discord that talks about the recommendations that we are going through. Each chapter, as it is uploaded, essentially gets a recap a discussion that goes on before we talk about it here on the podcast. Uh, also, there are bi-weekly gaming sessions that are held amongst the community. It's all very good. And that is also where you can find links to the Google Doc maintained by Ninja X3i, which keeps track of all, of all sorts of different things uh, associated with the podcast, including recommendations, including the one that we are currently working on. We also want to give special thanks to Steve Mann, our tower artist. You can check out his work wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. Steve Mann. And uh, Milo Jack Stilitz and Wizzy Dale Cheddar, of course, the creators of the opening sequence that you can see on the YouTube editions of each episode of the show. Damn straight. All right. That is going to do it. Uh, anything you want to throw out there, Nick? Uh, um, do you want to talk about how heartbroken you were when uh, Adam Page didn't win the the Eliminator Battle Royale? I was not super heartbroken, but I was a little sad. But but you were super pumped when he came out with the the head the, the oh you know what because because of the bonds that he has with his friends he had already won the most important battle so yes it, the key the key frame just said the dark order and say Adam Page in the dark order that's right just the dark order then he left them this this week so <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, as long as as long as Cody gets his head kicked off this week, I'm gonna so. <laughs> that's all we need. All right, guys. Please. <laughs> that's gonna do it for Week of Manga Recap this week. I hope everybody has a great episode. Bye.